Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. We have a great show. Today, we're going to talk about bears, all thing bears. I am so excited. On the show, I have bear biologist Wes Larson, also known as the Grizz Kid. You might actually recognize Wes's name because not only does he have a big Instagram presence, he's also the host of the very popular Tooth and Claw podcast. It's actually one of the top rated animal podcasts. They go into animal attacks and I'm I'm going to be honest, I have been a recent fan of Tooth and Claw. I've been binge listening to all the episodes. And honestly, I felt like I knew Wes before I even interviewed him because I've listened to so many shows. I literally fanboyed out having Wes on because it was just like, it was so cool being able to talk to him, ask him all the questions I've ever wanted to. So once again, super excited to have Wes on the show. Now, before we get to it, a little bit of house cleaning. I just want to say it is so nice to be back into the studio. If you are a regular Animals to the Max podcast listener, you know it's been a couple months since I released my last episode. Speaking about house cleaning, I just welcomed a new Patreon member. We welcomed Renee, and Renee so kindly sent me a message on Patreon and just said, hey, Corbin, are you going to be uploading any more new podcasts? And of course, I got right back to her and said, Renee, yes, we are going to be uploading more episodes of the Animals to the Max podcast. By the way, there are over 200 plus episodes of the show, and Renee, you can enjoy hours of interviews available only to Patreons only. That's the after shows, and those are available on Patreon.com. But if I can be completely honest with you, life is just so different from when I first started this podcast back in 2017. To be honest, when I started the podcast, things were a lot slower for me. I used the podcast as a creative outlet to speak to other like-minded animal people, hear about their jobs, hear about their passion, and I wanted to share those conversations with people around the world. And it was awesome. I mean, I've you know, I've talked to countless people. We have over 200 plus episodes, but at that time I wasn't as busy. I, you know, had my animals, I had my podcast, I would do appearances, but now fast forward to today, I'm a full-time content creator. I'm a YouTuber creating content every single day. I mean, every day I release a new video on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. It's very time consuming. We're just actually in the middle of our summer tour, which if you are interested in seeing us live, go to CorbinMaxi.com. You can see the full list of show dates, but honestly, things are crazy. Uh, my wife and I also own a separate business from the animals called Snake River Wine Tours. So between the two businesses and just everything and taking care of the animals and all the projects. It's been hard to keep up with recording the podcast. And this is a passion project. And I promise I have not forgotten about the podcast. I'm so happy you're still listening. And we have great shows coming up. So not only do we have Wes on the show, but you can look forward to another interview I just wrapped up with Forrest Galante from the Discovery Channel. That's going to be coming out soon as well. So thank you once again for your patience. Thank you so much for your understanding. It's awesome that I'm able to take you on this wild ride with me me, I guess pun intended and what's going on. With that said, I will be quiet. I'm sorry for talking so much. I just wanted to kind of explain what was going on, why there was a little bit of a hiatus. With that said though, let's get to it. Let's talk grizzly bears. Let's talk polar bears. Let's talk bear safety. Wes, welcome to the show, man. Thanks Corbin. Happy to be here. I, I feel kind of weird because I said you're my buddy. We've never met. Literally we just <laughs> met, but it's all right. Dude, I'm such a fan of your podcast, Tooth and Claw. Like, I binge through, I mean, so much that I feel like I know you guys. So it's, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I feel like I already know you. I appreciate that. You know, we're buddies in our mutual love for animals that's brought us together. Um, and I'm happy to hear that you're a big fan of Tooth and Claw. That, that warms my heart. Dude, it is probably one, I mean, for the record, one of the best animal podcasts out there. Like, I literally Thank cannot, you. I can't stop listening to it. And it makes sense because you guys have a huge following. I mean, I'm sure you're, I mean, what are your downloads at for, for Tooth and Claw? Do you even know? Yeah, we're, you know, a month, we're getting a, close to 400,000 listens a month now. What? Yeah, yeah. So it's going pretty well. Congratulations. 400,000. That is that's it. Did you ever see that like the show exploding like that? No. In fact, 
our first few episodes, I think we were a little bit more kind of uh, casual about the way we were talking about animal attacks and a few other things because it was kind of like, oh, it's just going to be my buddies that listen to this and they know me very well. And and it kind of it, it grew pretty quickly and we realized like, oh, this is actually like turning into something. And then just in the last year, it's really exploded, too. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, let listeners know what Tooth and Claw is about. Of course, you mentioned animal attacks, but you are a bear biologist. You're joined with the, with your brother and your buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So I am a bear biologist. I've been working with bears uh, for over 12 years now. And wow. my specialty has been on human wildlife conflict. Um so as I as I learn more and more about bears, you know, you you do hear these stories of attacks, and I think a lot of biologists tend to kind of try and kind of push those under the rug, because when the media does pick up on those, they often portray the animal as this monstrous, terrible predator, bloodthirsty, you know, that they're craving human flesh, and what I wanted to do was be able to tell those stories because they are just so fascinating and compelling. And I think we do love, there's just a primal part of us that, that still feels that kind of fascination with, with these predators, but then tell them in a way that people can understand that often the human was the, the one in that, that encounter that was doing something wrong or that triggered a behavior in that animal. And that once you understand those behaviors and you understand how to avoid them, you can feel much more empowered going out into the wilderness. You can feel empowered to go and recreate and see wildlife and enjoy them rather than fear them. And that's kind of the whole purpose of the podcast. Yeah, I've learned so much. And I've even like, dude, I've been on TV, like on Inside Edition, talking about bear yeah. attacks, and I know nothing compared <laughs> to what you guys do. And I'm like, wow. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I mean, I hope this doesn't come off wrong, but I think the worst animal to be attacked by would have to be a grizzly bear. After listening through your episodes, it sounds horrific. Yeah, I think, you know, as far as like the amount of devastation that be can, that can be caused in a very short amount of time i think grizzlies really are a, a a high contender for for that um i commonly say if you are attacked by a black bear that might even be worse because it's almost always predatory it's still a big enough bear that it's going to be over able to overpower you and then it's literally just going to sit on you and eat you which i think is the worst way to go because they're not dispatching prey like a big cat does they're literally just eating you until you bleed out. And luckily for us, that's such a rare thing. It hardly ever happens. It's like truly one in a million black bears that decide to maybe investigate people as food. So, but yeah, I agree. A bear death is worse than just about anything out there. Yeah. One of the earlier episodes I listened to, cause you were at Yellowstone and you were living mm -hmm. in, in Mammoth, correct? Correct. And you said you woke up, you heard these horrendous screams. Can you go into that? Yeah, it was the middle of elk calving season, uh, which is around now, late May, early June. And when the female elk start dropping their calves, the bears really pick up on that because it's a defenseless animal. Uh, they don't, you know, they're just kind of hide in sagebrush and hope they're not discovered. And so about 50% of the calves in Yellowstone get killed by bears. It's a lot. Um, and... One morning I woke up, it was the height of elk calving, and I heard just like bleeding, bleating, not bleeding, <laughs> uh, and screaming. And I knew it was an elk. I thought it was probably a calf. And I figured, oh, this is, you know, a bear's killed a calf somewhere. And it was just like 300 yards from where my house was. And sure enough, like right as I walk out the door, one of my colleagues pulls up in the truck and he says, oh, there's an, uh, there's an elk being killed right there. And... The thing is, it, it creates such a spectacle when it's right by the road like that. So we had to go and, and actually haze that bear away and then take the calf and move it to a place where a bear could eat it in, in relative peace. Uh, but you said it was just eating the calf alive. It was just... Oh, yeah. And the calf's screaming and it's just pulling tendons and flesh and everything. And yeah, it's not a good way to go. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people who go to Yellowstone or even those who go on an African safari, they they want to see a kill, right? Because that's what they've seen on the Discovery Channel or Nat Geo. But then when you actually witness it, I mean, because, you know, when, when you watch those nature shows, I mean, the majority of the time they, they, they mute it, they put music over it, they cut to, yeah. you know, and I just... I think it would be difficult for a lot of people to watch. Totally. And I, I personally hate when those shows pull their punches. I grew up, 
I think, you know, in the 90s, there were these shows on Discovery where they didn't. They showed it, like, start to finish. Oh. Wild Discovery was the one I always watched, and it was very Predator-focused, like, Predator-prey relationships. And I'm the person that was always rooting for the Predator, and I wanted to see it get take down. I wanted to see the whole thing because it's fascinating, and it is, like... It is this rarity. It's this thing that you don't see often because so few hunts are successful. And it just, it often happens in the dead of night or in places where humans, you know, aren't going to be able to witness it. So when you do see it, it is very visceral and powerful. And, uh, and you get into whole new respect for what that animal can do. Yeah. I think I remember watching that because I think we're around the same age. I'm, I'm 33. How old are you? I'm 39. So I got, you're 39. (laughs) Yeah. Really? Wow. I thought you were younger than me. How 39. (laughs) I feel like I remember those discovery shows. I remember watching like, I remember like a Buffalo being trapped in the mud and hyenas eating it alive. I mean, I'm sure you, I mean, you know, that was like the old discovery channel. Right. That was the stuff I live for. So nowadays when they, you know, show the animal running up and then they cut to like them feeding later or something, I'm like, no, (laughs) just show the whole thing. Did you see? Go ahead. I think it's important. I just think it's, I think people gain a new appreciation for predators when they see that sort of thing. And and they do realize that like um, they need to eat too. You know, it's, it's part of that whole cycle. Yeah. Did you see chimp empire on Netflix? I haven't seen that one yet. Oh my God. Yeah. When they're hunting colobus monkeys, it actually oh, gets, yeah. it gets pretty intense and they're tearing them apart. I mean, my wife was like, I can't watch this. I turned yeah. this, turn this off. And I, there's some rough moments because you see so so much of humans in chimps. I mean, we're so right. closely related, and you see them just. Yeah, there was an old David At- Attenborough series that I ordered when I was a kid. It was called Trials of Life, and it was also mostly predator prey relationships. And there's one segment in there where it was the same thing: a, a troop of chimpanzees hunting colobus monkeys. And it was the one segment in that show that I like had to kind of turn away from. Because the monkey's screaming and they're just kind of like casually tearing it apart. And for whatever reason, ever since then, I chimpanzees are the one animal that I'm kind of just like, I'm not messing with chimpanzees. I just don't really want much to do with them. Really? So if I offered yeah. you like an all expense paid expedition, you would have. Oh, I'd go. I'd you go would, 100%. You would go. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've talked to my friend who's a wildlife photographer, Jerry, and he said like they are terrifying oh yeah like ter- he said when you're out in the forest and they come running towards you and he's with a guide as well it's absolutely terrifying yeah i know there's places where people literally can't set foot because the chimpanzees will run them out oh. and then we we did a chimpanzee story of a, a captive chimp a really famous story his name was mo and he was raised by this family and then they had some legal problems and they had to put him in a preserve and one day when they're visiting him two other chimps escaped from their enclosure and just absolutely brutalized this couple. Um, and it, it was like, it's the one story that really sticks with me just because the damage that they did in so little time and they use their hands to do it. It's just like, I don't know. I don't, it's a, it's bad. Yeah. I, that was one. I, you can see I'm scrunching my face. <laughs> no. Cause that, that was, that was one of my earlier episodes I listened to. Because yeah. I think I think I was listening to one of your episodes and then you were like, oh, I think the chimp was the worst attack. And I was like, oh, pause. I have to hear yep. the chimp. And then I was like, geez, <laughs> are the, oh, the way that I mean, yeah. yeah. OK, yeah, I'd highly recommend listeners. I mean, it's it's a little graphic, but man, it sure gives you a new appreciation of the power that those animals have. Totally. Yeah, there's nothing. They're an animal where an adult chimpanzee, even though they seem smaller than us, you're you would be pretty powerless against one. Yeah, I have a lot of zookeeper friends, and they say the worst animal to be in would be with a chimp. Like, there's no, yeah. no, no question. They'll rip off your face, go for your groins. I mean, right? I yeah. tend to agree. I that's the one I don't really wanna. I don't want to mess with. <laughs> yep. Well, I'd actually jump. You know what? I'm gonna ask you a question. Then, would you rather be with? I mean, this would be a horrible situation. But would yeah. you rather be stuck in an enclosure with a chimp or a polar bear? Uh probably the chimp again just like i feel i and the reason there is that i i i'm much more scared of chimps i'm much more in kind of intimidated by them i guess i understand polar polar bear behavior a lot more 
But I think if you're in an enclosure with one, it just the the novelty of having something new in their enclosure really, you know, they go for it. And a polar bear, you wouldn't, you just wouldn't last as long. I think with the chimp, I can last long enough to where maybe I get help or something happens. But with a polar bear, I think a polar bear in the wild might just completely ignore you. But I think a polar bear in an enclosure is going to check you out and they're going to do that in a way that's going to be pretty devastating to you. So, yeah, I, I'll pick the chimp still. Whew, that's terrifying. Well, and, you yeah. know, and sorry, I'm like jumping all around, but I'm just I'm so yeah. fascinated with your career and just being a bear biologist. Did you grow up wanting to become a bear biologist? I grew up here in Montana and it like the thing for me about bears was that they were always kind of in the back of your mind. When you go out in Montana in a place where there's grizzlies, you do have to kind of always think about them whether you're at the trailhead and you see a sign or you you see some, you know, sign on the trail or something, you are just kind of always thinking about them. So they always made those experiences richer to me because Mm -hmm. you, you're paying more attention to your surroundings. And then you notice the little, you know, butterflies and the flowers and all these different things that otherwise you might be missing because you're just kind of zoning out and you can't zone out in grizzly country. And so it does, it, it made me have a, a new appreciation for the wilderness and that animal became almost mythological to me. But then I, so I wanted to be a wildlife biologist all growing up. And then, well, I wanted to be a shark until I was six. And then someone (laughs) completely devastated me by telling me I couldn't be a shark, but then I wanted to be a wildlife (laughs) biologist. And then I kind of went a different track and thought maybe I needed to do something where I'd make some real money. Thought about being a doctor, shadowed an eye doctor and absolutely hated it. And then, oh, it sounds horrible. Oh yeah, my God, yeah. <laughs> going to the eye. Oh, the eye doctor. Yeah. What a shout out to all you eye doctors that are doing it. But for me, it wasn't for me. Um, no, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I took, yeah. I took a step back and and uh, thought about what I was passionate about. Started meeting with professors and found Tom Smith, who's based out of Utah, and he was doing the kind of work I wanted to do. But he mostly human wildlife conflict didn't have any space for me, didn't have any kind of openings or anything, but I just went back almost every week and met with him and visited with him and and we became friends. And then he hired me to help out just around the office. And then when he did finally have an opening for a master's student, I had put in the time I'd been there for a year and a half, just visiting and helping and doing whatever. So he, he took me on as a master's student and I um, started on a polar bear project and then did a black bear project with him as well. Wow. A polar that just, yeah. But you know, you said something really key there. It wasn't like you just, you know, called Tom and said, Hey, let me, you know, let me join you. And then the next week you're off on a polar bear expedition. It it took persistence. Like you said, a year and a half of just, it did. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of been my, my mantra my whole life is just when you have something, you know, you really want, if you're persistent enough in a not, not annoying way, you often can get it. Um, and, and for me that did work out and it worked out really well. And, um, and I never looked back. I've, I've been working with bears now for over a decade and I, I am, I'm really thrilled that I did that. Yeah. Let, let's go back. So when you're a child in Montana, so I'm actually in Idaho. So dude, we're actually neighbors. Yeah. 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 Have you, I'm sure you've been to Idaho a few times, right? I have. What part of Idaho are you? We're an hour outside of Boise. Okay. Cool. So yeah, I'm in Missoula, so not far. Not far at all. And have you been yeah. like outside of Boise in Idaho or? Yeah, I've kind of been all over. Yeah, I've been all over Idaho and it's it's great. I love it out there. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I would tell yeah. you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where I live off the air. I used to tell yeah, people perfect. all the time and then people yeah. like started trying to Show find up. out. Well, yeah, they, they tried to find out where the alligators were. And I'm like, oh, wow, right. I probably shouldn't like, you know, be like, <laughs> we're right here. Anyway, yeah. so you're, you're in Montana here in Idaho. I mean, I know we have grizzlies, right? Like super up north, right? Isn't that where they are? Yeah, you know, where Idaho mostly has them is right by Yellowstone. It's like Island Park. Oh, um, some, yeah. Okay. Sometimes you get them in the panhandle. Oh. Uh, so they can show up there, but your biggest population is in Island Park. Really? In Island Park, which is famous for what? The longest Main Street in USA? I didn't know that. Are you That's kidding me? Oh, yeah. We have a yeah. friend from Island Park, and he's told me the story like 10 times. He's an older gentleman, and he is thrilled 
yeah. their, their, their claim to fame. Next time you go through Island Park, you'll see a, a sign. But really, I thought they were all up north. Well, that's good to know because I guess yeah, they, filtering out from Yellowstone. Yeah, up north you get some that kind of come over from the Cabinet Yak uh, population, and, mm-hmm. and then there's some that, that trickle down from BC and whatnot. But your, your main population, like I would guess the highest percentage of – of grizzly bears in Idaho is definitely in the Island park area. Good to know. Okay. So back yeah. on to my question, you're in Montana. How often do you see them as a kid? Not often. Yeah. I mean, especially growing up again in the nineties, uh, they weren't, the population wasn't doing as well as it is now. And really I'd see them in, I'd see them in the national park every once in a while. I'd see them in glacier. I'd see them in Yellowstone, mm. but it was uh, a little bit harder to find them back then. Nowadays, they're showing up in a lot more places, which is great. They're kind of expanding their range, and and they're a little bit easier to find. But really, outside of the parks, you got to still get pretty lucky to see a grizzly bear in Montana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now, I mean, and I know their populations are growing in Yellowstone, like you know, as you mentioned, in the Teton area. Mm-hmm. I just got back from Yellowstone and the Tetons. Oh my God, phenomenal! Are are you still actively doing work in Yellowstone? Currently this year, I'm, I'm taking a year off, um, just because, uh, again, like the podcast has kind of turned into a, a full-time job for me. Wow. And so I'm, I'm doing some guiding in Yellowstone, um, and taking people to hopefully see bears and wolves and all of that. But I am not, I, I'm not on the bear management team this year, but hoping to go back next year. Dude, I am so proud of that. Not like, that's so awesome. The podcast is like, that's like turning into a full-time job. That is awesome. What an amazing Thank you. medium. I mean, for people to do that. I, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It's really, it's taken on a life of its own. So, um, yeah, there's still, it's not, it's not paying all the bills totally yet, but I, we're getting there. That's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. We were, um, yeah. I mean, like I said, just in Yellowstone and it was, I have to say a lot of the bears were super hard to find. It was funny. You Mm -hmm. would see people like with their big telescopes and you'd see these like little dots, the size of a pepper. And they'd be like, look, there's a, you know, there's a, you know, female with, 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 with her cubs. And I'm like, I can't, you know, see them. But uh, we did get lucky a few times, uh, which was great. And I, I yeah, I mean, I've gone pretty much every year of my life to Yellowstone around this time of year. And this is the best time of year to see bears in the park. Mm-hmm. Um, and growing up, like I would say the first 10 to 12 years that I went there, we felt really lucky when we would see a bear. And now I will see, uh, you know, a cup, like a dozen when I go on just like a few day trip to the park. So it really has gotten a lot easier but you're right. You don't always have that kind of like miraculous, like the bear walks across the road right in front of you kind of sighting. But um, but most people that go there to see bears are, are getting pretty lucky and seeing bears, which is great. Yeah, I feel like when you go, though, would you agree that you have to manage your expectations? Because I totally because like, OK, I hope this isn't your tour vehicle, but like we've all seen the Yellowstone tour vehicles. There's one with the links on the side of it, which I'm just like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like it's jumping through the snow and then there's a wolf and then there's like a bear catching a fish. And my wife's like, isn't that in Alaska? Like the bears are all lined up and it looks like it's an image from Alaska. So if if someone listening to this, they want to go to Yellowstone for the first time, how, like, I mean, are are they mainly going to see bears off in a distance or is it likely they're going to see them right by the road? Yeah, I would say, honestly, if you see a bear, I'd say you have about a 50-50 chance of it being either a pretty good sighting somewhat close to the road or off in the distance. And that's that's a bear. So, like, I should qualify. With black bears, often you do get a fairly good sighting where they're not too far from the road if you see a bear. This is if. I would say you probably have about a 50-50 chance of seeing a bear this time of year. Mm-hmm. And then if you see another, if you see one, I would say it's about, again, a 50-50 chance of it being a good sighting. Grizzlies, I would say it's substantially less. I think you you should expect to have a sighting more like what you're talking about, where through a spotting scope, it's going to look pretty good. But with the naked eye, it's going to look just like a speck moving across the hillside. Yeah, this was so far away. We were in Lamar Valley, and I'm telling you, it was like the top of the peak, and I couldn't, like, the sow and her, I was like, I, I can barely, it was like through yeah. the scope, you know. But, you know, I have to say, if you put the time in, nature will reward you. Totally. Well, that's, and that's the fun thing about places like Yellowstone is you might, 
you know, you might not have the sighting that you are always hoping for, or you might have a grizzly kill an elk in the road in front of you. You know, you just don't know. And, and I think if you go with that out, that kind of like outlook and you think, well, I'm, I'm for sure going to be able to enjoy all the amazing geothermal features. I'm for yep. sure going to see bison. It's a beautiful place to go. I'm going to see elk. I'm going to see all these other things. If I get lucky, I'll have a good bear sighting. That's the outlook to go to the park with. Um, if you're trying to collect sightings, maybe, you know, you you might have to spend some time to do that. Yeah, we, we search for days, for a couple of days. And then we finally, in the evening, we just were up near the northeast. So we like, you know, we're by Lamar Valley, went up to the northeast gate and went back in the evening. And then sure enough, yeah. as we made our way back, there was a grizz right to our left, like, you know, right right on the river. And I thought, wow, right, right there, great sighting. It crossed the road. It just... It was, Perfect. it was pretty cool, but yeah, we had yeah. to put the time in totally. Yep. So a hundred percent. That's awesome. So, um, I just, so do you not make it to the park often now that you're doing this full time? Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be going for most of June to guide. And then I have so many friends there now that I, yeah. I try and get out and visit. Um, there's, yeah, I, I'm sure I'll still be there a handful of times this summer. And then again, probably next season I'll be back full time just because it's hard to give up. Like the, the work we do there with the bears is just really exciting. And it's a great, it, it's not like a super high paying biologist job, but it's really interesting field work and really exciting. Yeah. Someone, and I know you're, I'm, I, you're not speaking on behalf of the national park service, but someone, cause I was posting on Instagram stories. I was in Yellowstone and someone's like, I used to work at Yellowstone, like wonderful job, horrible pay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, Especially if you're seasonal, which seasonal. All, almost all of the bear managers are, aside from a few of them. Um, if you're seasonal, there's only a certain level that you can get to on that federal pay scale. So I would just say to all you you know, prospective wildlife biologists out there, I do feel like in wildlife biology, the kind of catch-22, and this is something I've definitely experienced in my career, is that the, the less... The more money you make, typically the less time you're going to spend in the field. Mm. You're going to start being in more management positions where you're in the office and you're kind of coordinating the people that are going out in the field a lot. And that's not necess necessarily true for all wildlife biology jobs, but I have found that as a general rule, that is true. So I've in my career, I've been able to kind of prioritize taking those experiences over pay and kind of going for stuff that I find exciting and that I'm passionate about and then just trying to cut costs everywhere else in my life. But it isn't always easy. And I do think that's something if you're thinking about getting into wildlife biology that you should consider. Yeah. I think you've any, any work with animals, right? Whether it's totally. in a zoo, aquarium, rescue, I mean, just anything people don't know. And I was recently talking about this with some friends, like people don't talk about it enough, like in the industry, because you go on Instagram or TikTok and see zookeepers or people out there in the field. And, you know, they're like, oh, I just have this dream job. But then you don't know a lot of them are working, you know, part-time jobs, which there's nothing wrong with that. But a lot right. of them have two jobs or they have to share an apartment with three other people just to make ends meet. Um, yeah. Cause they're so competitive. Those jobs. Exactly. Yeah. I've never, I don't think since I've started in wildlife, I've never just been working one job. It's always like, and, and I've been lucky enough to where I can start things like the podcast or whatever that kind of give me a little bit of, of extra income, but that's solely to fund a life working with animals. So it is yeah. something that you really have to be passionate about or you will burn out. Yeah. So you mentioned a uh, little, a few minutes ago about, you know, if you're lucky, you'll see a grizz kill an elk in the road or whatever. Were you there in Yellowstone when the famous bear 791 killed that elk? Yeah, I wasn't working at the time, but I, I did go up to the park and see it. So it killed it already. Um, but then I went and watched it feed and, and took some photos. And that was, that was a really neat experience and such like, as you know, as someone who's now worked in the park and worked on the bear management team, that was kind of an ideal situation for letting people see that. Because often if there is a big carcass by the road, we have to move that carcass because it just creates such a huge backup on the road that it's it's a big problem. But that bear was across the river and there was plenty of parking nearby to where we could just leave it and let that all play out. And it was such a, or I wasn't working again, but they just left it. And it was a really neat opportunity. Really yeah. cool. 
that was the first time I'd ever been to Yellowstone and we're just driving through Hayden Valley and we saw all these cars lined up. We're like, huh, I wonder what, wonder what that is. And then we sure enough, like we see 791, which is this monster bear. Isn't he one of the largest bears in the park? He is. Yeah. I think the last time he, he was caught, he was over 600 pounds for our bears. That's about as big as they get. Wow, and was it true that they moved him from the Tetons because he was eating cattle or killing cattle? I don't think so, but that it's possible. I know that, so Carrie Gunther is the lead bear biologist in the park, mm-hmm. and for a while now the park's policy has been that we don't take problem bears. Oh. And the reason behind that is just that um, Carrie's worked really hard to make Yellowstone essentially conflict-free. We have hardly any conflicts in the park uh, our bears are, for the most part, pretty well behaved because we've kind of weeded out all the the problem bears, and so taking on a problem bear just introduces a lot of uh, conflict. And so, yeah, for a while they haven't been taking conflict bears. So I'm pretty sure he's a, a Yellowstone bear, but I could be mistaken on that. I thought the rumor was that he was relocated and then killed and ate another bear in Yellowstone. I do think he's killed and ate another bear. But oh I don't God. I don't believe he was relocated. But don't quote me on that because I could be wrong. That guy but sounds do... like a savage. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, he's got an interesting history for sure. Um, and we do. I mean, last year there was this this yearling or not yearling. It was um, a sub adult, probably a two or three or four year old bear. I think three that was hanging out by the road every day. And we were trying to push this bear off the road just because it wouldn't mm-hmm. leave the road. And a huge male came in and killed that bear in front of like 200 people. Oh Um, yeah. And probably would have fed on him too, but we had to push him off too, but it it was a whole spectacle. So they will kill each other. It's they're they're impressive animals. Where, where was that? Was that in Hayden Valley? No, that was in between Norris and mammoth. Um, really just right there, right by the road. It was kind of by, um, by, uh, why can't, why can't I think of the name? burning no i can't remember anyway it was it was right on that road though in between norris and mammoth wow and people witnessed that oh my god yeah yeah a whole bunch of people there's videos of it online it's it's an interesting an interesting one for sure wow yeah i yeah i like i said just love yellowstone it's so cool we have it like so close to us but even in the united states it's like this it's well the you know the american serengeti is what they call it or lamar valley it is yeah that's... I think it's the one place in the U.S. where you can go on like a very true safari and like, you know, see a wide variety of animals and, and have like a real safari experience. Yeah, for sure. So, and, you know, I guess we could talk about this now. If you are out in Yellowstone or you're hiking in bear country, can you give the listeners just a couple tips on what to do just to stay safe and to avoid an attack? Definitely. I think... You know, when when you look this stuff up or if you look even on the National Park website, you get a lot of information thrown at you. Mm. And I do think that tends to confuse people because they hear so much from so many different sources where then if they're they come into an encounter with a bear, they have all this information rattling around in their head and it's hard to remember what's actually important. So what my kind of my outlook on this is to really simplify things and to give people just a few pieces of advice that have been scientifically proven to be effective and to greatly reduce your your chances of having a negative encounter. And so I'm going to give people three things. And I think these three things are the three things that you should remember. And if you remember these three things, they're really going to make your experience a lot, a lot safer. So number one uh, is to, if you see a bear, if you're out hiking and you see a bear, and, and let me let me qualify this really quick. These are three things if you see a bear. These aren't necessarily like prep things. We can get into that in a second. This is if you run into a bear on your hike. So the first thing is to group up. Because if you're in a group of people, they do not like interacting with groups. Two or more people or three or more people to them is just too much. Um, Almost all of the attacks that have happened in Yellowstone have been on groups of two or or less. So uh, group up be a cohesive group that alone is probably going to be enough to discourage that bear from making contact. The second thing is get your bear spray out and get it ready. So that just means getting it out of its holster. It should be right on your side. You don't want it in your backpack. You don't want it somewhere where it's not accessible. Just get it out, 
slide that that safety off. That's what I mean by get it ready. So just get it out and be ready with it. The third thing is to slowly back away from that encounter. Um, so that's really it. If you can remember those three things, grouping up, getting your bear spray out and getting it ready and slowly backing up, you're going to reduce any chances of having a, a negative encounter. Well, I love that. I love that. Now, if you are unfortunately attacked, now, by the way, it is so rare. You're more likely to be killed by a coconut, um, killed by a cow, a dog than any of this actually happening. But if you are yeah. attacked by a bear, what do you do? If you're attacked by a bear, what you do is you get your bear spray out and you spray it. Okay. So people are going to say, what if I don't have bear spray? Okay. And if you're in grizzly country and you're not carrying bear spray, you're already, you're already giving that bear the control. You're already letting it dictate how that encounter is going to end. To me, my, my advisor, Tom Smith has this analogy and it's really stuck with me too. It's like saying, what if I'm not wearing my seatbelt and I get in a car accident? It's like, you've already kind of decided mm. that you're taking a risk. And I'm talking, this is grizzly country. If in black bear country, it's a little bit more nuanced. Grizzly country, you need to have a deterrent because if you don't, you're letting the animal decide. I think the only way I'd feel safe in grizzly country without a deterrent is if I'm with like 30 people or something. Um, outside of that, have your bear spray. Spray at the bear. You're just going to do like short bursts of two to three seconds on that bear spray. Aim it down a little bit. You're just putting a wall of spray in between you and the bear. So when it runs at you, it hits that spray. It chokes it it's just nasty stuff it's gonna run away now if if for whatever reason you don't have it or if the bear does make contact with you at that point you can do the fetal position where you roll into a ball put your hands over your neck and just play dead but again if that bear is predatory or if it decides that it wants to mess you up it's going to you're you're giving it the decision making and i just don't think you should ever do that just carry bear spray it's cheap it's effective. You can have it right on your hip. That's what I advise. Yes, and then for a, and that's for a grizzly. For a black bear, you fight back because it's almost always yeah. predatory. Okay. Yeah. So again, spray is great. Like if you have the spray, it'll stop it. Yeah. But if a black bear makes contact with you, with you, you fight back no matter what because they only really make contact with people when they're trying to eat them, and playing dead is just going to give it an easy meal. So with black bears, you just want to be as strong as dominant as you possibly can. You're throwing things, you're hitting it with things, you're doing whatever you can to discourage it from thinking that you're a meal. So you never fight back with a grizzly? It's rare. In a campsite attack, you might want to fight back because mm. that's probably a bear that's trying to eat you as well. Um, so if you're attacked in your tent by a grizzly bear, you'll want to fight back. Outside of that, um, I, I would never do it. It's just the, the, the vast majority of attacks by grizzly bears are a, a bear that's trying to neutralize a threat. So the more threatening you become, the harder it's going to try and neutralize you. So that's why just like letting it know that you're neutralized is what you want to do. If that bear started feeding on you, then you oh. would want to fight back. But at that point, to be honest with you, you're screwed at that point. Like you're not going to discourage a grizzly bear. Dear God, what a horrible way to go. And I actually got, I got chills. Um, as we were in the park, we hit Pelican Valley. And I specifically remember you in the podcast saying, I would never camp alone in Pelican Valley unless I had an electric fence around my campsite and bear spray. And you said it's one of the densest areas for Grizz in the park. It is. And, and it's a place that's pretty wild still. So a lot of those bears don't have a lot of contact with people. Okay. And, um, you know, I just, I think it's, it's not that I'm afraid of camping in Pelican Valley. It's that I would need to be prepared to do it. You don't want to take this animal for granted. You want to make sure that you have the kind of precautions in place to make sure you don't have the worst experience of your life. Yeah. So I want to jump down to the Grand Teton National Park because yeah. we went there for a day and my God, dude, did it deliver? Like we, I mean, a minute cool. in, we see a moose and then and less than an hour in, we have famous grizzly bear 699 and her 
three cubs like just you know walking right across the road people are jumping out of their vehicles it was like they saw kim kardashian i i yeah. I, I and you've seen it right people go nuts like it's like oh yeah it's, it's people bear fever yeah, yeah it, that's oh, i guess okay bear fever <laughs> what are your thoughts on that like i mean literally i saw one lady jump right out and like next to the bears and i mean the park rangers like get back in your car ma'am and she's just with her phone what are your thoughts yeah. on that whole i mean just everything like that yeah there's been this interesting kind of development with with bears becoming celebrities and <laughs> and people knowing like specific bears yep and it creates some really interesting problems for managers and biologists mm. but then it also they also are serving as ambassadors for their species and it's making people really appreciate them and love them and want to protect them so it's kind of this like i i have really conflicted feelings on it because in some ways it's really damaging in that you're putting so much focus on a single animal that like say if that if a famous bear decides if it attacks someone or if it goes and kills livestock or something it's almost impossible to do what you need to do with that bear which would be remove it from the population because you're going to get death threats you're going to get people that want to crucify you and that's a problem because we should be focusing on the population not on specific animals so that's kind of the negative part of it but then the positive part of it is that you have people that are really getting passionate about a really important animal. Um, and I love that. I love that people are fighting for an animal that's so near and dear to my own heart, my own heart. And so I think, um, I think that it's really complicated. I just, I yeah. don't know what to think about it, but I would say if you go to Yellowstone or Grand Teton or anything and, and you're looking for a specific animal, just, be cautious of how you're acting around other people. Be courteous to other people that maybe are seeing their first grizzly bear in oh. their entire life. And maybe it's their only opportunity to ever see one. And you've seen dozens. So just, you know, give them give them the space that they need to enjoy that interaction as well. Yeah. Have you seen the famous Grizzly Bear 399? I have. I was I was actually on the 399 task force uh, when she was in Jackson, Wyoming. Oh, let's get into it. I want to hear it. Like, I'm one of those people. Like, yes. Yeah. And can you tell listeners who 399 is if they don't follow the bear celebrities of the world? Yeah, she's a really famous female grizzly bear from the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. She, The reason she's gained such fame is she um, tends to keep her cubs very close to roads and almost uses people as a shield to raise her cubs. And because of that, she's been really successful in raising her cubs to adulthood. Recently, she had four cubs, which is very rare, and she managed to raise all those cubs to adulthood. What people don't know, though, is because she's a like these cubs are becoming so habituated to people around them all the time, they often turn into problem bears once they grow up. And a large percentage of her cubs have been killed by people because they're breaking into homes or eating livestock or causing problems. So it's kind of, again, a catch-22 with her. But um, it was twenty end of 2021, she had decided to go down into Jackson. Mm. And she was starting to kind of get into some trouble with her, her four full-grown cubs at this point. I mean, they looked like full-size grizzly bears. And because she was such a celebrity, Wyoming didn't really want to deal with it. They didn't really want to go in and, and remove her or cubs because they knew that, you know, there'd be people with pitchforks outside their, their nights, their homes that night. So they, what they ended up doing is a uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service hired kind of a, a team of a number, like probably 10 bear biologists to come in. And what we did, I was lucky enough to be one of those people wow. is we just followed her and kept her out of trouble as much as humanly possible. And then once we actually got a couple of the cubs collared with GPS units, we were able to then follow them very closely. And I had a really intense night where I chased them out of downtown Jackson on foot and with a paintball gun pushed them north of the of the city. And then that night again pushed them north uh, up back into Grand Teton a few nights later. With you know, with help of a number of colleagues, of course, but um, yeah, it was it was an intense. Like I have a video, 
that I can show you sometime that can't be shared, but it's, yes. it's me and my truck, you know, escorting them out of a little town in Wyoming. And there's five grizzly bears just like running in front of my truck. Oh my God. It looks like I'm herding cattle, but it's grizzly bears. It's pretty crazy. Please send that to me off and yeah. I won't share it. Text it yeah. to me. That is wow. So I feel like an idiot. I'm like, do you know 399? Like, you know her very intimately. <laughs> I know her very well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. not intimately, but wow. So I've how... been, I've been bluff charged by 399. I know her that well. <laughs> wow. And have yeah. you guys had to tranquilize her? Were you part of that team too? That actually tranquilized I've never, her? We, during that um, particular kind of mission, we caught three of her cubs Okay. and we tranquilized two of them. One of them um, wasn't ready for a collar. The other two were big enough. We decided that, you know, they could put, we could put collars on them. Um, so we, well, all three of them were more than big enough, but we just decided to put out two collars, but we didn't catch her. We just caught the three cubs and then she has been caught in the past, but I've never been there when she's been caught. Wow. And she's such a celebrity. We were, you know, cr- I mean, cause I mean this year, as you know, people were like, is she, I mean, is she's she, got a new is she left? Yes. And my mom, I mean, she, she was on 11 o'clock at night. She's like, she's yeah. been seen. It was almost like mom saw yeah. Jesus. Like she has risen yeah. With the new cub and dude, we're obsessed. It makes, the, it makes her the oldest grizzly bear in the ecosystem's history to have a cub, which yeah. is really neat. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, it really did crush me though. Last year when they had to euthanize one of her four and yeah. it just, it it's, it, it, it was really, really sad. And I, yeah. Can we talk about that? What are your thoughts on yeah, that? It's, it's kind of the, you know, it's the, the downside to us trying to coexist with this animal is that there are going to be conflicts. And I think for people that don't really want to coexist with grizzlies, uh, but that are forced to, I think for them having, knowing that that's an option that if a bear does kind of break the rules that we've established, that it's going to be removed allows us to kind of keep this peace where we can then have a really vibrant growing population with bears that are staying out of trouble. And unfortunately, that's kind of, you know, in a perfect world, I love grizzly bears probably more than just about anyone else on this planet. In a perfect world, we we would never have to do anything to them. We would never have to haze them. We'd never have to remove them. Mm. It would just be letting them do their thing. But unfortunately, you know, we've put down so much infrastructure and so many houses and so many things to where if we just let them kind of run wild and do whatever they want, public opinion would turn against this animal at some point. And then it would be a disaster. You would see what you're seeing with wolves in some parts of the country where it's just kind of like kill on sight. And I would be devastated if that happened to grizzlies. So that's why we have, there are those kind of options in place where if a grizzly bear steps over this, this boundary that we've drawn of becoming a conflict bear, that's a potential danger to humans, they're often removed. And I can say from Another part of that is that if you leave a a bear that's showing that kind of behavior that can evolve into predatory or not predatory, but into aggressive behavior against humans, um, if you leave that bear and then it does end up hurting someone, there's actually like legal uh, precedent for those people then being able to sue the government and get a lot of money. And so sometimes removing those bears is also a financial decision. Oh, that it's still unfortunate. I talked to some it's friends too in yeah. the area and they were, I, what was he raiding someone's trash can or getting into a coop? And they were like, God, if they only had these bear fruit yeah. cans or put food away, like we're in the environment. And I just, yeah. For uh... people that don't really understand that though, the thing about the thing that's so scary about that situation is that when you think about it, if you're a bear and you're out in the wilderness and you're eating huckleberries or whatever else, you have to eat so many huckleberries to get your daily caloric intake that you need. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, if you raid some trash and you get like half of a pizza or some Twinkies or something, you're getting the amount of calories that it would take you in a total, like in a couple days in a matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. And so for a bear, you just, once you get that, you're so focused on it for the rest of your life. Like a a switch gets flipped in your brain where Mm. you're thinking, this is what I want. This is what I want from now on and I will do anything to get it. And that we call that food conditioning in the bear world. 
And once a bear is food conditioned, it's really hard to switch or to flip that switch again and to get them to go back to natural foods. And they start taking bigger and bigger risks and acting less and less like a wild bear. And it's just a really, uh, it's a dangerous situation. It's a bear that will start breaking into homes or getting way too close to people. And it, it's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean that bear is going to someday attack someone, but it keeps them really close to people. And that's just a really dangerous situation. Isn't there some, like a new proposal to take the grizzly bears? Cause well, they're not endangered, right? But they are threatened, but there's, there's talk of removing them from those, yeah. that list for, for hunting. Uh, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Again, they're they're kind of complicated. I think yeah. I think when you when you get an animal back to a population size to where you can take it off the endangered species list, that should be celebrated as a victory. That should be, you know, when you're a biologist and you mm. and you get that, you should be patting yourself on the back and saying, "Look what we did." You know, we got grizzlies back to sustainable population size to where they can be ethically harvested you know and i'm not a trophy hunter i would never hunt a bear i'm not in favor of it but i it is a management tool in north america that we use and so if you get grizzly bears to where it's like okay we can allow this many bears to be killed by hunters every year in a way that's a victory because you've accomplished that now on the other side a lot of the attitudes in the states that have grizzlies in the lower 48 so montana wyoming and idaho and Washington to some extent are really have taken a right turn where they're, it's just like, let's kill as many as possible. It's, they are kind of treating them like they're treating wolves. And that to me is really scary. And so before when, when we were going to take them off that list, there was a really good plan in place and it seemed very level headed. And now that it's being talked about again, a lot of the plans that are being put out to me are very aggressive and that's why I think you're seeing a lot of bear biologists say, well, let's wait on taking them off this list because we need to come to a good balance on this. So right now they're not right now. It's it's up in the air. It's up in the air. A lot of the governors of, you know, governors of Montana, Wyoming and Idaho especially are Dude, really pushing. I know it's, it's freaking horrible. I it is. I absolutely I wish I I ugh, I yeah. am just disgusted. I'm in the same boat as you. I'm disgusted on how like my state has managed wolves i'm disgusted mm -hmm. on how montana has managed wolves i, yeah, I absolutely hate it and it crushed me not this year but last year i mean you know just as well as i do that they took out so many yellowstone wolves to where i think the stat said that they were seeing like like they had a decrease in sightings of 47 percent. they yeah. took out how many do you know how many wolves that the hunters killed it was over it was over 20 20 wolves which it for uh, the population in yellowstone's like some it's generally somewhere between 100 to 150 so that's a really large percentage of the number of of yellowstone wolves that were killed and then the hunts of the wolves outside of the park too was pretty extreme so it yeah it was a lot of wolves i thought they were all outside the park are you saying that some were in the park too they weren't in the park when they were killed but these are wolves that their their range was inside yeah. Yellowstone and they'd moved north of the park for whatever reason. And uh, some of them were killed literally right on the border. You know, it's like it's I, I'm with you on it. It's disgusting. And I, I think I do think there is an ethical way to manage wildlife. I think that, um, you know, hunters do put a lot of money into the into the, our model of conservation. Hunters do play a role in that. And I think they deserve to have their voices heard. I have, again, I'm personally against trophy hunting, but I think you can do it in a way where you don't, you're not pushing the pendulum too far in one direction. And unfortunately they pushed it so far in that direction that it's really scary. You it know, is it's terrifying. It's disgusting. And I think it's disgusting. Like here in Idaho, they can bait, they can use, you know, bear claw traps. They can right. gas them out of dens. They could chase them on snowmobiles, hunt them with yeah, dogs. It is freaking disgusting. And I got so fired up because um, we always stay in, in Gardner when we go to Yellowstone. And just to find out that most of the hunts were, you know, around that area from what I read and that the 
hunters were there and just you could it just it makes me disgusted to even support that community and i know not everyone is a wolf hunter there but it's like wolves bring in so much money to the park millions and millions of dollars like millions what is it like didn't they say like 30 million a year or something it's insane yeah yeah How animal, much? i mean animal viewing is is the second most cited reason for people coming to the park with the geysers being number one so it's like it's a huge revenue generator and then on top of that like i think you can come up with a lot of reasons for why they're important including like how sure. beneficial they are to the ecosystems yes. all of that but i think even more than that is that they intrinsically deserve to be here like they were here for a long long time and we're the ones that are so destructive and that are hogging all the resources and that want to kill so many elk and so many deer every year and i think if you're a hunter who can't handle a bit of competition with a natural predator i think you need to reconnect with what it means to be a hunter i think you need to re-examine why you're doing it and your motivations because i think you don't understand the ecosystem that you're trying to harvest from yeah and i think because i know that we're never going to be able to have a common ground with you know some of those people i also think yeah. there's a few bad apples that just need to go like i mean oh, i agree they they, yeah. they they need to go yeah, they, the governor sir, of Montana being... It's horrible. <laughs> Didn't he kill a mountain lion and have it stuffed? Like, my Jesus. This... Oh, he, he, like, shot a wolf in a trap. He did... He's done all which, sorts of heinous stuff. Which was, like, collared, right? And then... But then yeah, he was he let off with a like, slap right on the hand. It. Yeah, it was crazy. I... Uh, anyway, and they bring in so much money for his state. Like, yeah. I just... Okay. Well, they're part they're part of what makes Montana special. So too. special. Like that's the thing in it, my mind. This is someone who's not from Montana, doesn't understand Montana, yeah. and thinks that it's like a good old boy state where you should just be able to kill whatever you want. And that's not how it is. Like I'm I'm a fourth generation Montana, and like I understand that like what makes Montana special is that we have learned how to keep an, a complete ecosystem. We have these predators on the landscape. And it makes it wild and it makes it special and declaring war on them and wanting them out of there is a very non-Montanan kind of point of view, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I know they're so important for the ecosystem. The reason why I keep on bringing up money is because that's the only argument I feel like that could really, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like trying to tell yeah. these people who hate wolves. I think if, if, if we have to manage wolves, which is it's apparently what we're doing, I don't think it's fair for the wolf's sake that people that hunters can literally set up right across an imaginary line and then kill them. I just think it's so like yeah. right outside the park. I think I it's, agree. I, I don't think there it's fair. There needs to be a buffer zone. There yeah. has to be. Yeah. And the interesting thing too, is like, for example, in Utah, they just passed a law where you can pretty much shoot a mountain lion on site and there's no quotas or anything. That's lovely. And their whole idea is too, again, there that there's too many mountain lions are killing all the deer and deer are what people want to shoot. So we need less mountain lions. But when you look at it, when you actually look at the science, a lot of these large predators, their populations are self managing. So like if, if you have too many mountain lions, then the the ones that aren't competing well enough are going to die off. Yep. And they're 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 um they're affected by their prey numbers. There's all these different kind of things that are built into their ecosystem that will decide how many can you know the ecosystem can handle. And the science shows that even in modern times it shows that that's happening. And so there are some of these animals that don't necessarily need to be managed. They're not going to explode and overrun our cities. Yeah. Bear, a lot of, I've, I've had a bear hunter argue that with my wife. Well, I'm killing the bears because they're going to kill all the cubs. Like he's doing a right. service. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me either. But again, I, I have plenty of hunters in my life. I, um, I'll hunt stuff that I eat. I'm fine with that. I think it's an ethical way. If you're a carnivore, if you eat meat to, to yeah. harvest your meat, but I, I do have some serious issues with trophy hunting and with people that just want to kill things to kill them. I think it's a, I think it's a problem and, and a bit of a, some brain rot. <laughs> I do too. Wow, Wes. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on yeah. the show. Will you join me for the after show? 
Yeah, of course. I promise it's it's not long. He's like, oh, crap, really? (laughs) (laughs) For only three more hours. Uh, Wes, once again, where can listeners find your podcast if they aren't already listening to it? Yeah, so you can find it anywhere you find your podcast. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen, we're there. So just search Tooth and Claw. Tooth and Claw. And Grizz Kid on Instagram. Yep. He has a blue check mark, folks. He's a big deal. <laughs> that's a big dude. That's a big deal to people. I had, I had one little girl come up to me and she's like, are you verified on TikTok?" And I was like, well, it's the only platform they keep on denying me. She's like, oh, I guess yeah. your content's not good enough. And I thought, isn't that horrible? I'm just like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's someone that needs to go outside and, and go on a little hike or something. Get yeah. some fresh air. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, God bless her. Anyway, yes, follow Wes. And then if you want to check us out on the after show, all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max to listen to the bonus episode or the after show. Ready to go? Ready. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.